good. So good to see everybody this morning. Uh, so good to see some new faces. Thank y'all for coming. Uh, we welcome you very much. So glad to have you. Uh, so good to see all the church family here. Um, what a blessing to have each and every one of you in our lives. Amen. So, Father, just help me to say what needs to be said. Help me to be uh, concise and slow in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody say, slow down, bro. Amen. Y'all know, those that know me well know I'm, I, I have a tendency to be in a hurry and I never should be. Amen. But I told you to go to Isaiah chapter 54. And we're going to pick up and just to kind of catch everybody up to speed with where we're at and where we're going. Uh, this year, for a as a church family, uh, from my perspective and my part, um, I want us to talk about what does it look like to enlarge our hearts? What does it look like to enlarge our lives, right? To expand our capacity and to increase the kingdom of God in our, in our lives, in our homes, in everything. Now, specifically in regards to people. What does that look like as it connects us to people? For those uh, that have been here, you've heard me say this, but again, as a bit of a reminder, remember there are only two eternal things on planet Earth, the Word of God and the hearts of men. Those are the only two things that will last forever. Everything else is temporary. Everything else will not remain, right? But what we do and how we invest ourselves into the word of God and into the hearts of men, those things are the treasure that Jesus talked about that we get to take with us, that we get to take into the kingdom of God with us. Does that make sense? So when we talk about enlarging our life, we're talking about it in the two eternals. How do we enlarge ourselves in the word of God and how do we enlarge ourselves towards people? How do we make room, right? And we've talked about how we've looked at Psalms and in Psalms it says, I will continue in the course of the word. And as I do so, God promises that he will then enlarge your heart. As you commit to this book, as you commit to understand it, but more than understand it, you commit to do it. You commit to apply it and make it reality in your life. That as you do that, it will expand your heart, right? And we're going to look now at the gospel itself because the gospel will broaden your life. Does that make sense? Amen. So Isaiah chapter 53, probably very famous chapter for many of us. That's the great redemption chapter of Isaiah. That's where Isaiah prophesies of the suffering Messiah. That's where I, Isaiah tells us, you know, he bore our sins carried our pains, took our sicknesses on the tree by his stripes. We were healed. That's that famous chapter, right? Of what Jesus would do as the suffering Messiah. But Isaiah 54 goes with it. And this is what the gospel of the Messiah will produce, right? So 53 is what Messiah would do. 54 is, this is what that's going to now do. Now here specifically for the Bible scholars that like that, we understand that specifically he's speaking to Israel, the nation of Israel. But in analogy, he is speaking to us because we are Israel, right? We are the people of God now. So we can still apply this to our lives today because you and I are Zion. We are Israel today. Does that make sense? Everybody doing all right? Now, if y'all will talk to me, it'll go a whole lot better, okay? 
Amen. Very good. Amen. This is a, this is a discussion, right? This is not a preaching. <laughs> Amen. But Isaiah chapter 54, notice this. And I'll just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. At some way, we're going to look at over the next coming Sundays how the gospel will help us enlarge three things. It will help us to enlarge our voice. It will help us to enlarge our schedule, right? And it'll help us to enlarge our priorities. So everybody say that. Say my voice, my, voice. my, schedule, my schedule, and my priorities. my priorities. So the gospel is going to enlarge those things, right? But notice this, it says in 54 verse 1, Isaiah says, Sing, O barren, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with a child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Now notice I love this, and I had not seen this until, really until, to be honest with you, until this morning. When I was up again, is kind of my habit on Sunday mornings is, is I get up, uh, make a cup of coffee, I sit at my spot at the table, and I, and I bring out what I feel like the Lord is wanting to share with us, and I just give it one last kind of perusal, right? One last meditation, uh, just to see if that's where we, we want to go today. And the, this thought jumped out at me from this first verse, right? How many of you might say this morning, and you don't have to raise your hand unless you want to, that there might be a barren area of your life. Something that seems dry, unfruitful, unproductive. You would like it to be something that it isn't right now. Right? It's barren. And the, and, and the scripture always speaks of barrenness in that kind of way. Barrenness was never seen as a blessing in scripture. Right? It was always seen as, uh, as if you will, a curse. Right, women who were barren, they were not praised and told how lucky they were that they couldn't have children. <laughs> it was always the reverse. Now, don't get—I feel like meddling a little bit in our culture, but I'm going to be a good boy today, and I'm going to going to keep keep to the script, right? But barrenness is not a good thing. Barrenness is dryness. Barrenness is unproductivity. Barrenness is that. But if you can sit there and say, "Man, Brad, there is areas of my life that are barren." Then here in this one verse, God tells you what to do with the barren areas of your life. And I love the fact that he didn't say pray. Right? What did he say? Sing. Sing. Have you ever thought about that before? Sing, oh you barren. Wow. God's instruction to those who could not bear children was lift your voice in song. Lift your voice in praise. Amen. That sounds odd, doesn't it? Right? Sing, oh you bear. And it, it goes on now this way. I'm going to have Pastor Kevin unknowingly help me. It says, bring forth. This is, it says, my Bible says, bring forth in, break forth into singing. So, Pastor Kevin, what is the best battle movie scene where at the end of the battle, everyone's going, ah, what's the, what's in, in Pastor Kevin's opinion, what's the best movie battle scene victory cry? So many to choose from. So many to choose from. 
Braveheart. Braveheart. Y'all remember the Braveheart? Have any men identify with Braveheart? All right, how about you, Kurt? What do you think? Best battle, Braveheart? That's it. That's it. How about you, Braveheart? Tony, Braveheart? But you saw that, you know, they're, they're, and, the, and that victory cry. Right, huh? And she said this. It was a tie between Braveheart and uh, the Return of the King. End of the Lord of the Rings. And I thought about the Lord of the Rings at the end. And that's probably a great spiritual analogy of that, right? Because as they cry out in victory, all the things disappear, right? All the stuff. All the, all the orcs coming down. You can see. Guys, that's the word that actually is there for singing. Break forth into the war cry of triumph. So if you can imagine, what does it look like to win the battle, to overcome the enemy, right? To defeat the Longshanks or whatever his name was, or to defeat Sauron. What does it look like? That looks like singing. What do you do? And I don't know why that's for somebody. I just felt like this morning. That's what do you do with the barren areas of your life? You sing and you shout over them. You must let him expand your voice. Right? You must let him give you more words to say. And not just, if you will, and I know there's prophetic words, but words of praise. Words of declaration. Words of victory. Words of praise. Because that's what he says. Oh, you barren, sing. Break forth into the cry of victory over your enemy. Amen. So that's whatever that is, if you're, if, you're, if you're facing, really, if you're facing a barren area in your life, you want to see something, give fruit again. Be fruitful again. Start with singing and praising God. That's where you begin. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So let him expand your voice. We'll keep reading. I do want to get somewhere today. It says in verse 2, enlarge... The place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. Expand to the right and to the left because your descendants will inherit the nations and they will make the desolate cities inhabited. I love this, right? This command again. What will the gospel do for us? The gospel will cause us to sing and shout over the barren areas of our life. I believe the barren areas of our nation, the barren areas of the world. Amen. Can, 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 I, get a, can I meddle just a little bit? Y'all let me. You know it's a lot of fun to meddle. Right? You know, in our current political climate, we probably should sing and shout more than post and like. Right? We should probably sing and shout and praise God for his goodness and his mercy that endures forever than to post and like and spread other stuff on Facebook. Amen. Amen. That's just free right there. I'll just let that sit. But those are the things the gospel will produce, right? The gospel will produce that in us. 
but it also says that it will inspire us to enlarge our tent. Enlarge the place of our dwelling. Now, how many of you, you live somewhere? I promise I'm a real easy preacher, right? I don't ask hard questions. I try softballs, real, real easy softballs. You live somewhere, right? How many of you know you read that and you go, well, does that mean I remodel my house? Kurt, would you like to remodel another house? No, no, they just, they just got done. They just got done remodeling a place that they owned and they're all done for a season, right? How many of you, you read that kind of stuff and you go, well, man, Brad, does that mean I got to knock out a wall? I got, I got to make, I got to go buy a bigger house. Right, what does that mean? How can I enlarge my tent in our culture today? And this is the word that the Lord gave me. He says, you must start with your calendar. Your calendar. Enlarge your schedule. Huh? It's your priorities. We're going to get to that in just a minute. That's right. But it's your priority. But it starts with, you just got to make room. Right? Uh, Dr. James Dobson says it like this. We live in a frenetic culture. Meaning we live in a perpetual state of hurry. How many of you feel that way? You feel like life is just busy, 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 busy. Everything's full. Right? Everything's going. Right? Everything's running. Come on, y'all. Y'all doing everybody doing all right? Right? But it's self-inflicted hurry. Because <laughs> who put that stuff in the calendar? I did. Right? I put those things in there. Right, guys? Listen to me. In our culture today, before you become inspired to knock out that wall, make your home bigger, get that bigger dining room table, add more chairs so you can have more people over, you probably should start with just making more room in the calendar. Right? Giving yourself some more margin. Giving yourself some more room. Right? Room for what? The two eternal things. We need more room for the word of God. And we need more room for people. Does that make sense? Right? I'm going to read some verses to you if you want to go there. Go to Psalms chapter 90, verse 12. Probably going to be very familiar. Psalms 90. Psalms 90, verse 12 says this way. It says... Someone speaking, whoever wrote the psalm, this is a prayer of Moses at the beginning of this. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Right? Teach us to number our days. Now, again, a little bit of, of the backstory of this is... Um, Psalms 90 being a psalm of Moses, and I'll remember what it was for. That's the famous one where Moses says, you know, we have 70 years, and if by reason of strength we have 80 years, that's how long. Remember, he's speaking to the children of Israel as they wander in the desert, right? So that is not necessarily a promise of God that our lifespan on earth will be 70 or 80 years long, 
right? That was talking about the children of Israel under the whole. They're going to wander in the desert for 40 years until one generation dies off and another one comes up. But here it is talking about there is a limited amount of days that you have. How many of you know that? How many of you know I'm sneaking up now? I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not old by any stretch of the imagination, right? I am 47 years old. This coming September, I will crest the hill at 48. And how many of you go, Brad, you still got tons of time. <laughs> how many of you are the older people there? But I have to realize too that uh, I'm sneaking up. If I make it to 100, that'd be awesome. I would love to live to be 100. I'd love to be a 100-year-old preacher. <laughs> Right. To be honest, can I tell you, I would prefer to die like some of my faith heroes. I want to die standing up just like this one day. I just want to fall over dead and go home and be with Jesus. I want to die with my boots on. Right. I want to, I want to die in the pulpit somewhere doing. Huh? That would be an awesome church service. It would be great. It would be awesome. And then he died. Like Smith Wigglesworth did. He's the one that I, that I look at. Smith Wigglesworth died just like that. He did. He just preaching and he fell over and they drug him back in the office and he was gone. Right? But he died preaching. No, but no better way to go. I'd love to go that way. That would be awesome. Amen. But I have to realize that sneaking up on 48, there are fewer days ahead of me than there used to be. <laughs> Does that make sense? And so here, the beginning of wisdom, or one of the, well, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, but here it says that we may gain a heart of wisdom. One way to gain wisdom is to realize I've only got so much time. Yeah. Right? I've got to number my days because I've only got so much time. Right? And I love what our sitting, tell me your name again. Rhonda, what, what Rhonda had said here, you know, that isn't a reflection of priorities, right? Where, where we set our calendar will show us our priorities. There's actually two things that will show us where our heart is. One of them is our banking account. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be, right? So how we manage and use our money, and this is no condemnation, right? And I'm not about to take up an offering. All right. So nobody worry about that. Amen. But, um, but how we manage and use our money tells us where our heart is. And where our calendar sits tells us where our heart is. Right? It speaks of our priorities. Right? Because how many of you know you do make time for what you want to do? Does that make sense? Cedric and I, yesterday, we, we love to fish, Cedric and I. And yesterday we went fishing. Did that happen by accident? No. no. We, cho we, we had to sit down and we had to make it happen. Right? We, it had to be something we, we talked about. It had to come on the calendar. It had to get up on the calendar. It's not on the calendar. It doesn't. That's Selena's biggest thing. If it is not on the calendar, it doesn't exist. Now, again, but now, and again, now for folks like Selena, if y'all don't know my wife, those that know my wife, she is very much the classical type A go-getter planned and check off the list personality person. We jokingly say we took this uh, personality test one time and it said that her favorite vehicle in life is a bulldozer, <laughs> right? That's, that's her favorite vehicle, a bulldozer, right? Because she's going to get her done, buddy. And if it gets in the way, she's just going to move it out the way, right? And we're going to accomplish 
some things. It said, you know, my favorite vehicle of choice, and I think was the old biplane that does loop-de-loops, <laughs> right? Right, that was, that was my vehicle of choice because if it ain't fun, we ain't doing it, right? <laughs> but whether, whether or not you're a bulldozer driver or whether or not you're a loop-de-loop plane driver, you still have to choose what you're going to do. Now guys, can I, can I speak? Either you can choose or something else will choose. Something else will choose for you or someone else will choose for you. But you can choose. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Is this all right? Am I doing okay? And Ephesians chapter 5. It was another aha moment for me this morning when I was meditating. Y'all getting fresh bread this morning, amen? Coming right out of the oven. I love these passages here, but I had never really seen this before till today. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Again, remember this. Uh, and, and Ephesians, I always have to say this anytime we come to Ephesians. Ephesians teaches us some great things as we're reading Scripture. You're always looking for two types of passages, especially in the New Testament. You're looking for what are called the indicative statements, right? The first three chapters of Ephesians are purely indicative. This is what the gospel is, right? Then the last three chapters of Ephesians are what are called imperative statements. This is what the gospel will produce, and I have found it very helpful in the reading of the New Testament to realize I'm looking to identify what am I reading? Am I reading an indicative passage? Is this telling me what the gospel is or what I am? Or is this an imperative statement that it's telling me what the gospel will produce in me? Does that make sense? And remember, don't ever read an imperative statement until you've identified the indicative statement it came from. That gets a lot of people in trouble. It creates legalism. If we read an imperative passage of Scripture and go, oh, God says go do X, but I don't know what reality he based the do on. Because in the New Testament, all of our doing is based on a reality. It's not based on performance. Does that make sense? See, as an example, for maybe if if it's needed... When God tells me to love my neighbor, that's an imperative statement. Mm -hmm. But it's built on the indicative statement of because he loved me first. And because he poured the love of God out in my heart by the Holy Spirit. Mm Do you see the difference in that? Mm -hmm. I am able to do the imperative because of what the gospel did and what the gospel is. The gospel then produces something in my life. So I'm saying that because what we're about to read is an imperative statement. It is built upon the indicative statements of chapter 1, 2, and 3, which says you are accepted in the beloved. You are righteous. You are holy. You are pure. You are blameless. You have an inheritance. You've been given a blessing spiritually and physically by Jesus, right? So all of this is based on the indicatives of the gospel, so now we're going to read the imperative. Yes, ma'am. A, we have to remember there's a difference between 
the boundaries that the Holy Spirit puts mm -hmm. that are for our benefit and our edification sure. and our good and the barriers that man puts up and, def and declares that they are Holy Spirit. That's right. That's exactly right. There's a, well, and you're right. You can't be guided by someone else's Holy Spirit, right? Nor do we follow it. Paul said in Colossians, he said, beware of four things, right? And he lists four things, philosophies and some other stuff. But one of them, he says, beware of the traditions of men, right? And what he means by the passage of the traditions of men, things that men have created in the best of intent, Right to help us understand something, but we've turned them into a tradition that we have to do in order to obtain holiness. Does that make sense? So now let's let's read this. So the gospel is going to produce this in your life. Verse fifteen of chapter five, Paul says. So see then that you, everybody, underline or circle that word you. See then that you, who's he talking to? Me. me. You. That's right. He's talking to you. Right? Because of the gospel, you then will walk circumspectly, not as a, a foolish person, but as a wise person. It says, verse 16, you, understood subject, will redeem the time because the days are evil. Then it goes on to say, therefore, do not be unwise, but you understand what the will of the Lord is and it moves on down the line. But I want us to look at verse 16 in light of what we're talking about this morning. Who is going to redeem their time? Me. You. Can I ask you a question? Is Jesus going to redeem time for you? No. I got no takers on that question right there. <laughs> Not bring, very good question, Kurt. What do, you, what do we mean by redeeming time? Uh, the word redeem in this passage in the Greek language is a familiar to us. Now, please do not raise your hands. This is just for your own thing. Have any of you ever needed to go to the pawn shop in order to make some quick cash? Maybe not, maybe so. Anybody ever gone to a pawn shop to buy something? Right? We understand how pawn shop, how, do, how does a pawn shop work? <laughs> right? How do, so what do you do? If, if, again, y'all looking at me like all strange, like, like all holy, like you don't know what a pawn shop is. You know what a pawn shop is, right? So we all know how pawn shops work, right? Brad needs some quick cash for whatever reason. Brad looks around at his stuff. Brad says, oh, I can take said item. We'll make something up. Normally it's a firearm or a fishing, not doing a fishing pole. And so, um, and so not, not that bad. it's never that bad. I can go, I can go fishing, right? You know, but I look at something, I'll take it to the pawn shop. I will do the whole pawn star thing as we saw on the discovery channel. Right. And they will say, well, Brad, I'll give you a hundred dollars for that. Yes or no. And I do. And I exchange this item for that. And then I have a period of time. What is that time called? Huh? No, it's not called a grace period. It's a time of redemption. You've got 30 days to come and redeem your item. What do they mean by redeem there? Buy it back. Right? You have so much time to go and, and normally in a Y'all understand in pawn shops, it's never a straight $100 for the $100, right? 
They don't make no money that way. There's some interest attached to that sucker, right? So you do a little bit of exchange and it's a way to do a loan, right? But you, you buy the thing back. You redeem the item. If you don't do it, it goes unredeemed and it becomes the property of the pawn shop and then they get to sell it to somebody else. It's all pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. So what do you think Paul means when he says, hey, because of what the gospel is, it will produce in you a desire to redeem your time. What does he mean by that? Buy back. You will buy back your time. How do we buy back time? That was the point of wasting time is not have to buy back time. Well, no. No. once you spend it, it's, you know, it's, it's not. But, but let's, I mean, it's a great question, right? Here, Paul uses a purchasing word. He says, redeem time. How do you redeem time? Prioritize. Huh? Prioritize. You, the only way to buy time is with time. Mm-hmm. You can't buy time with money, right? Mm-hmm. You can't buy time with an object. The only way to redeem time is is to say, I will buy that time up by purchasing it with my choice. I will do something with it. Right? Notice what Paul said. You redeem the time. Why? What does it say? Because the days are evil. Right? How many of you have heard somebody, some well-intended preacher say, we live in some evil days. Anybody been guilty of saying that lately, especially since the last election? These are evil times. They're evil days ahead. Anybody? What do you do when you live in evil days? You redeem your time. Oh, how do you redeem time? I put it on the calendar and say, I will buy this time for one of the two eternals. For one of the for one of the two eternals. I'm buying this time for the word or for someone. Does, does that make sense? We redeem in evil days. God tells us what to do in evil days. He says you redeem time. You, the one who is the carrier of the gospel. You, the one who has had what the gospel is planted inside of you by the person of the Holy Spirit. You, who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You, who have been a partaker of the divine nature. Mm -hmm. Do y'all see how this works? You, who know the gospel. You have an ability that the rest of the world doesn't have. You can buy time in evil days. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Man, I wish I could buy some time. A lot of people wish. A lot of people don't. And notice I love the fact, Kurt, you said what I was thinking. God didn't say, man, wish you could buy some time. (laughs) He just said, no, hey, son, go out there and buy you some time. Go out there and prioritize your calendar. Right, go out there and block up and choose that I will I will redeem time in evil days. How? By I will run my time. I will set a schedule. I will put things we've said in priority. Does that make does that help a little bit? 
expand that in, in your mind? It's the same as budgeting. It is the same as budgeting. I mean, you're just budgeting your time, not budgeting your finances. That's, or your both, if you're really good. Absolutely. No, it, it's a bud, but it's a choosing of what are you going to do. Right? Again, a little simple exercise. You've probably done it if you've been to anything self-helpy at all. It's one of these classic things they do in self-helpiness. So let's do some basic math, right? How many days are in the week? Seven. How many hours are in the day? 24. Well, it's 24 times 7. 168. 168. So how many hours do you have in a week? 168. Do you know what you do with the hours you have? Let's go. <laughs> We're now 168 hours. Right? But it's a great little thing. I mean, and this is a very, very practical thing. I wouldn't even play is, is you can literally run a little grid and it's worth doing to sit there and say, I've got so many hours in a week. What do I do with my hours? And just get, a, get yourself a scope of stuff. Now, please hear me. Don't be condemned. Please don't. This is not a, a condemnation. I'm trying to rail on nobody and say you're not doing a good job for Jesus. Able to do. Where your money goes. Absolutely. Like, oh, I don't need that. You can do the same with your time. That's right. That's it. We understand this. Tony, you remember how many hours a day, when that book you gave us reading in your men's thing, how many hours a day are men on their device? You remember? I was read it the other day. I forgot. Six or seven hours a day. Right? Do, do you understand? How many of you, you know, if you've got an iPhone like I do, you get this little weekly notification. Yeah, how much screen time you've done. Do you, know, do you know why the government made Apple put that on the iPhone? Huh. Is because they're finally acknowledging that the device is addictive. Yeah. So they're letting people know how much time has been on the device. Does that make sense? I mean, in light of not having working bathrooms... You want to know an interesting life stat about time spent, right? That if you live the average of a 75-ish, 85-ish year life, you will spend about three years of your life in the bathroom. <laughs> Over the course of your whole life. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's astounding, right? And again, y'all do, I know somebody's going to Google. Delane, somebody's going to Google right now make sure the pastor was right. And it was all good. But it's something like that. I hadn't looked at that stat in a long time. But it, it, I was shocked. I'm like, oh, my gosh. How much time do you spend? That's like a college degree. You can get a college degree in the bathroom. Right? It's amazing. All I'm talking about is, A, guys, to listen to me. You have the ability to buy time. You buy time with your time. My question to us would be is, how are we buying our time? What are we spending our time on? Not in condemnation, but because we have an ability to do what the rest of the world can't. We can buy time in an evil day. We don't have to wish I could do it. We actually can do it because Father is for us. He provides for us. He cares for us. Does that make sense? Right. <laughs> you, 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 pl you fly one of those planes yeah, too, right, Kurt? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, to plan everything is, again, against my nature, 
Yeah. Me and you both, brother. And, and, and Kurt's saying that you now for the recording, and so people listening, Kurt and I are, are similar. Sounds like we, we fly that loop-de-loop airplane, right? We are, we are in the lanes in the boat with us, and we can be impulsive in, in planning and even talking about planning anything kind of rubs our cat backwards, as we jokingly say around here. <laughs> I'm going fishing. Right. So you can look at things. So what I'm talking about is, again, please don't turn this into a law or to a rigid thing. But just ask yourself, what am I spending my time on? Now, Ken, you wanted to say something, and then I want to kind of land the plane and open up for next week. That's right. It's a great exchange. Trust the Lord. Well, even on this, and just to say this as an example um, y'all have heard me say this probably before, but you know, we all understand as Christians, the concept of Sabbath, right? Everybody understand what we mean by Sabbath time, right? We get it from the old Testament, you know, God himself on the seventh day rested from all of his labors and he took a Sabbath break. Have you ever been encouraged to take a Sabbath break mm-hmm. before? It's good. Do you want to know the reason why God encourages you to take Sabbath breaks with him? And that's part of redeeming the time. Right. It says this, it says that God worked and he ceased from his work. What was the last thing God did before he took a break? He made us. Anybody remember that from the Genesis story? Six days of creation on the sixth day, God makes man. Took him all day to do it. He makes Adam, breathes into him the breath of life. So when Adam wakes up, what day was it when Adam woke up? Isn't it interesting that Adam's first day of life was the day of rest for the fact of he woke up and realized father has taken care of me. Father has provided everything. Everything is perfect. Everything is in operation. And my very first day of life is nothing more than just I'm amazed at how well God has taken care of me. Because many times the reason why we don't schedule well is we're trying to take care of ourselves. Right. Right. We're trying to get an extra shift. We're trying to work a little longer. Right. It says in around Proverbs 127, around the third verse, if I'm not remembering wrong, it says, do not work your fingers to the bone. It. What is that? Okay. Cedric's got it. I don't know. Let's turn it off. It's all good. It sounds, of that keyboard, it sounds like a... No, it's the keyboard. Is it TV? For those who are listening by the podcast and have no idea what's going on, it sounds like a rabid chipmunk is trying to make its way into the church. There we go. That is right. So, but anyway, it's all good. But... It says, don't work your hurried fingers to a bone, toiling night and day in order to get rich, because God cares for you even while you're asleep. Even while you're resting, God is taking care of you. So the reason why we take breaks and we rest is not just that we need the rest, but it's actually to sit back and say, Father, it's an act of trust. You care for me even when I'm asleep. You provide for me, not my job. 
You are the one. What gives us the confidence to be able to block time and give it to the eternal things is because God cares for us. He takes care of us. He will provide. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Now, for time's sake, I'm going to land the plane on this, and we're going to have to unpack this more next week, okay? So I know I saw a couple more hands. I, I hate to do that, but um, just to land the plane. Uh, go with me to Matthew chapter 9. And I want to tie these two together because how many of you are sitting there and you're going, okay, Brad, this sounds real good and preachy. <laughs> Blocking and buying time and redeeming the time. And you're just going to be honest enough to say, what the hell does that look like? <laughs> right? What does that look like, Brad? Why? How do, you even, how do you even do that? I'm just trying to be honest, right? For those that are there. I know I just swore in church. It's okay. You know, Miss Rhonda's with me. I appreciate that, Miss Rhonda. Right? And you hear preachy preachers say stuff like that. And you hear motivational guys say stuff like that. And you're like, well, what? What does that? I don't even know. How would you begin? Okay, I got I to gotta invest it in the eternal things. What does that look like? I want to paint a picture for you in the life of Jesus about what that can look like. Go to Matthew chapter 9. And I'm going to read it's around verse 35. Let me get there with you. For those that are here. What verse? I got to get there, kid. Let me find out. You're ahead of me. Matthew chapter 9. Man, this Bible's not preaching real good this morning. Uh-oh. I know. No, I can't do old King Jimmy. He really didn't preach. New King Jimmy. No, I got no. That's the lady version of the Bible. It's too many, too, too many words. Hey, listen. Remember, church is to be enjoyed and not endured. Okay, that's the, the Amplified Bible. Is the lady version of the Bible is extra words. That's right. That's right. Oh, come on. We're going to have fun, all right? (laughs) Amen. So it says this. It says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, And Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, and he taught in their synagogues, and he preached the gospel of the kingdom then, and he healed every sickness and every disease that was among the people. But it says, But when he saw the multitudes, and I want you to underline this phrase, it says, And he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So then he turns to the disciples and he says, the harvest is truly plenteous and the labors are few. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Can I ask you a question? Was Jesus planning on having a prayer meeting? No. Right? Was that on the docket for the day? Not according to the scriptures. What led Jesus to stop and take time to teach on prayer and then probably to pray. He was moved with compassion. Now, again, in light of having no bathrooms, amen, here at the church building this morning. How many of you have ever really, I mean, I'm talking about you really, you like you had to go to the bathroom? Like it wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't like you kind of had to go to the bathroom. It was like, I, go. I had to go to the bathroom. Right now. Like, like, like now. Anybody ever had that experience? We've all been there before. You've, you've, like, you've had to go. You've just had to go. Making your way to, to go. and a really nice older lady comes up and wants to 
Yeah. That's right. How many of you have, we identify that. How many, and it's the dance. We all know, and, and please again, I know this might, I'm, not, I'm normally a lot, lot more kind, but we've all experienced the pee-pee dance, right? Right? You know, you're, you're standing there. You've been there, and it's a little wiggle, and you're trying to do something. Come on now. I know we've all done that. That's what it means to be moved with compassion. That's literally, if you look into the Greek language, it literally means, if you look it up, moved with compassion means, look at it in Strong's Concordance. I forgot the number, but it says, moved as unto the bowels. That's what it said in Strong's. Because both the Greeks and the Hebrews had an understanding that the deepest emotions, the most volatile of emotions from hate and revenge to compassion and pity came from now the gut. And now it's amazing to realize all the gut health. You just asked, I don't even want to poke the bear over here of gut health because she's right here, right? And she will tell you, as I told her this, what I was going to say so she wouldn't get up here and shut the church down because this is her least favorite way for me to preach, right? And stuff is to talk about it. But she goes, well, of course, we've discovered so much about gut health. The guts, the intestines are the seed of the deepest emotions. They're now discovering that medically. But, here, but here's the, what moves you? Now, here's the thing. There is something in your life that moves you. Make sure that you're making time for what moves you. Now, again, here's Jesus. Jesus, it says he, Jesus is going about being Jesus, right? He's preaching. He's teaching. That's just what Jesus did. Went to the synagogues. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's doing stuff. And it says, and he looked up. And we're going to look at this. And he saw the multitude. And upon seeing them, he was moved unto his bowels to such a degree that he couldn't help but stop and pray. He couldn't. It was so moving that he could not. He, he was doing the prayer dance. We got to pray. Right now. Mm -hmm. And he stopped and he made time for that which moved him. Otherwise, you will spiritually constipate yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. I'm just going to leave that right there because that will totally get my wife off this bench right here in just a second. <laughs> Amen. But does that, does that make sense? See, it, and it's the same thing. If, if you have to go to the restroom... And you hold it and hold it and hold it and hold it. Again, we've had about two kids in our ministry time where we've literally had to pray for them because the little person didn't like the experience of going to the restroom. So they held it for so long mm -hmm. till a couple of feet of their intestine were compacted. Mm -hmm. And they were facing life-threatening mm -hmm. operations mm -hmm. to get them moving again. Mm -hmm. Right? It's, it's interesting that in John, in his letter in 1 John... In the third chapter, around the 16th verse, he says, hey, if you see someone who has a need mm -hmm. and you have the wherewithal to meet the need and your bowels are moved to do it 
and you close off that love of God, then the love of God is restricted in your life. Do you see how, notice John parallels. If you see something and it moves you, respond to what moves you. Don't shut it off because you can. Remember, you can buy time or you cannot buy time. What is it going to look like as we talk about this? Because please hear me, I'm not necessarily talking about you've got to sit down with your 168 block hours of time. Although this would make my wife happy. And you've got to program every hour in that week down to the minute and have it blocked up. Does that make sense? Because that would drive people like Kurt and I crazy. And so switching, all of us loop-de-loop plane people. You just got to have a place in your bulldozer for your fishing gear. That's right, it's true. <laughs> I like it. You're going to fit in real good, Miss Rhonda. That's awesome. Right? Does, but listen to me. But how, I wanted to make this practical. How can this help? How, what does this look like? What does it look like to buy time? If I'm going to redeem my time, what does that look like? Make sure that when you see something... And it moves you, you put it there. Mm -hmm. You don't spiritually procrastinate. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I'm busy. I'm busy. I can't get, I got something else on the calendar. But here came this moving opportunity that again, I saw something. It moved me, gave me the spiritual wiggles. Because it so moved me, we stopped. We buy that piece of time. We stop and we make room for it. And we put something else on hold that's probably just as equally as important. Does, does that help? Yeah. And we're going to see that Jesus lived that kind of lifestyle. Jesus lived a lifestyle of constantly being willing to be moved by the Spirit, moved by compassion. And he constantly lived willing to be interrupted in his schedule. And that's how he bought some of the greatest pieces of time we have recorded in the Gospels. Is because he saw something and it moved him and he stopped and he, he responded to what moved him. And he bought that piece of time. Right? Or he was making his way to Jairus' house and a lady comes up and touches his garment and interrupted the schedule. And he turns and does something. Does that make sense? That's how we buy time. That's what we're looking for. Right? That's how do I redeem the time of the evil days? More than anything, I am the one who is able for God to interrupt the timeline of history and the kingdom of God to break in. You were talking about going to the restroom. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And I, I was thinking spiritually, if I don't move and, have, and let that compassion flow, eventually it's going to come damaging to my spiritual mind. It certainly will. That's exactly right. It will, it will shut off, quench. quench the love of God. That's what John said in his letter. He says, if you close up, and you read it in old King Jimmy, he says, if you close <laughs> off the bowels of compassion, you cannot say that the love of God dwells inside of you. Because you, sh their life is dependent on it too. That's the main thing. It's not about me. That's exactly. Sometimes I think it is. 
Yes. That's exactly and right. I walk by that and don't let that compassion flow. I miss what God wants to do to them. Too. That's exactly right. Amen, sister. That is so true. But, and you just bought that piece of time, though, for the kingdom. You just purchased that block in an evil day. You redeemed it through that. And we get to have that ability in our life. Right? So this week, be aware as you're going about your schedule. Be aware that you are going to see people. You're going to see situations. You are going to see things. And remember, I think you'll see them physically. You'll see them digitally. Mm -hmm. You'll see things in our culture. And you'll see it. And it'll move you. When it moves you, respond to that move. Right? Respond to that movement and buy that chunk of time. That's right. That. That's exactly right. That's so well. He chose you to move in that compassion. Amen. He could have used anybody, but, but he chose you or me. He chose us to move in that that's compassion. That's right. That's exactly right. And it always changes. It does. Always. Always. The kingdom of God breaks forth. The things of God move out. Amen. So Lord, help us. Lord, as, as we go in, into this week and as we see people, as we see circumstances, as we see situations, as our eyes see, Lord God, we thank you that our heart, our bowels, our, our, our soul will be moved. And Lord God, I just thank you, though, that as, as it does that, Lord, give us the, the boldness and the courage to then instantly obey. To buy up that block of time. To buy that, that piece of eternity. To make that investment. And we praise you for, Lord, just as I said, we praise you for what you're going to do. Lord, for how you're going to transform people's lives. Lord, thank you for trusting us and, and counting us faithful to do this. That you see us, that every time that move of, of, of our heart is just, is just you saying, son, I trust you. Son, I trust you. Thank you for counting us faithful and giving us this opportunity. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hmm. And again, if um, this is going to sound weird, and I apologize, but if you're here and say you're going to have to love me on this one, okay, and trust me, but if you feel like you're just all plugged up on the spiritual side of life, you've, you've said no so much, and what, what was said today, it's ringing your heart. And you're like, God, I want to be there again. I want to respond again. Or you want to say, Lord, I want to be open and ready. Right? Then if you will, just, just say, Lord, here I am. Just say, here I am, Lord. Lord, uh, unblock that. Unblock. Unblock my heart. Unblock my soul. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Just with every head bowed, every eye closed. Anybody you can say that's me.
Amen. I see those two hands. Thank you. Hallelujah. Amen. So, Lord, we just say thank you for that. Amen. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your love. And, Lord, that just uh, you used the, the water analogy in John's letter. And, Lord God, so now we just take a moment to unplug the pipe. Amen. To say, Lord, okay, God, I'm not, I'm not going to be that busy. I'm not going to be that occupied. I'm not going to be that hurried. Amen. I'm going to make room, Lord, that as I see it and as I'm moved by it, I'll respond. I'll respond in that moment. I'll be quick to respond. Amen. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father.